Now, our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing in a, a series we're in in, in Mark's Gospel. Uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, you can also find that printed in your bulletin. Uh, but before I read the scripture for us, I want to read a little something I found this week from The Onion. Now, remember, The Onion is online satire, so uh, take this for what it is. Lamenting that there are only so many hours in the day to devote to his various stresses, local sales manager and father of two, Dell Humphrey, told reporters Friday that he continues to have difficulty striking a proper work anxiety, life anxiety balance. It seems like I'm always so busy dwelling on the countless dilemmas that come up in the office that I barely have any time to stress over the problems facing me at home, said Humphrey, 38, noting that the demands of worrying about work leave him precious little time to worry about his family, health, and finances. I mean, most weekdays I'll stay late agonizing over whether I'll be able to meet my quarterly sales target, so when I get home I barely have enough energy to obsess over whether we're saving enough to put Ryan and Jessica through college. I just wish I had the time to freak out about both my job and my personal life without feeling like I'm neglecting the other. Humphrey added. Humphrey noted that he can't even remember the last time he was able to have a panic attack about his insurmountable personal debt without his work-related doubts intruding on his thoughts. Even though I'm usually pretty swamped at work, sometimes I'll just take 15 minutes out of my lunch break to lie down and obsess over my brother's constant request to borrow money, Humphrey said, while nervously drumming his fingers on a nearby table. It's not much, but when you fret over work as much as I do, it's important to carve out a little time to freak out about your personal life whenever you can. Now, uh, do you ever, anybody struggle with anxieties and worrying? Uh, do you ever wish you could take all of those anxieties and all of those worries about life and work and help and shove them into a magic box and make them all disappear? Of course you do. Maybe not the magic box part. But you wish there was, there was some way to make them all disappear. Uh, do you ever feel like life is coming at you so fast that, man, I wish I could just stop and pause and catch my breath for a little bit? And wouldn't it be great if, if there were one day, just one day, where you felt like today I don't have to produce? I don't have to be on. I don't have to prove myself. Well, I don't have a magic box to offer you, but I do have a gift from God to offer you that's designed to give you rest. And we're going to read about it uh, in the scriptures this morning. So look with me. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and this is the word of God. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which, is, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. 
And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word, uh, and thank you for uh, this Sabbath day where we're we're gathered to to worship you and to hear your word proclaimed and to to think about what that might mean for our lives. I pray that you would help me now uh, to speak clearly and truthfully. I pray that you give us all hearts to hear uh, and receive your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk about three things uh, as we think about this this morning. I want to talk about the gift that brings us rest, how we miss that gift, and how we can receive that gift. The gift that brings us rest, how we miss that gift, and how we can receive that gift. First of all, the gift that brings us rest. Uh, The gift that brings us rest is at the center of these two confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees that we just read about. The gift that is meant to bring us rest, is this gift of the Sabbath day. Now, what's the Sabbath? Uh, The fourth commandment tells us about the Sabbath. Let me read that to you from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, and it's probably one of the ones we overlook the most, but that's actually not the first place it's mentioned in the Bible. The first place the Sabbath is mentioned in the Bible is Genesis 2, where you read this. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So every seventh day for Old Testament believers, from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday, this is when they observed the Sabbath, Um, they would rest. They would rest from their labors. As New Testament believers, uh, Christians for the most part, and I can't get into all the discussions about this, but for the most part, Christians celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. We celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Now, some of that's connected to the fact that this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Some Some of that's connected to the fact that this is the day in the New Testament when we see New Testament believers gathering for public worship. But that's the Sabbath in scriptures, this day of rest and worship. What's it about? I think it's essentially about two things. The Sabbath is about rest from our work, and it's about rest in God. It's about rest from our work, and it's about rest in God. So so let me talk to you about those for just a minute. First of all, it's about rest from our work. Sabbath involves ceasing from our work and from our labors. The Sabbath says to us, you got six days to get all your work done. And on the seventh day, God is saying, I want you to take a break. 
You need to rest. Teachers, you don't have to teach today. Mechanics, you don't have to work on cars today. Students, you don't have to study today. Uh, employers, you need to not drive your employees into the ground. You need to give them a, a break today. Coaches, quit making athletic success your God and give your athletes a break. Give your kids a break. The Sabbath is meant to be a delight. The Sabbath is meant to bring freedom. And so, you know, I often feel like we're fighting to get out from under Sabbath. We really ought to be fighting for Sabbath and, and what it represents. We should, we should want it because we need it. We desperately need rest. Uh, it's said that during the French Revolution, the leaders of the French Revolution were trying to strip all traces of Christianity from France. And one of the things they did to try to get rid of Christianity was to forbid people to observe the Sabbath. Right? So no, no Sabbath observance. So what happened? Everybody was so worn out and just so decimated by not having rest that eventually they had to reinstitute the Sabbath just to give people a break. We're, we're busy. We're overwhelmed. We're out of control often with our busyness. Uh, the first thing, I, I glanced at Facebook this morning early, and the first thing that popped up in my feed was an article on why do Americans work so much? Like, we're, we're, all, we're all trying to address this. We're all working all the time. The Sabbath is a gift of rest from God to us. It's to say, hey, Take the day off. Take it easy. Uh, but it's not just rest from work. It's also meant to be rest in God. Uh, Exodus tells us that the day was holy, that it was set apart, that it was a Sabbath to the Lord. We, we rest from our labors, and we rest in God. Uh, Numbers 28 tells us that on the Sabbath day, the number of sacrifices offered that day was actually doubled. Uh, Leviticus 23 says that the Sabbath was a day of sacred assembly. Psalm 92 is titled a psalm for the Sabbath and pictures of a day of God's people rejoicing in his presence. It wasn't a somber day. It wasn't a serious day. It wasn't meant to be a burden. It was a day where God said, here, you can gather with my people and you can bring praise to me. So we rest in God. We rest in God on the Sabbath. Now, specifically, I think there's some, some certain aspects of God's character that we ought to rest in. Uh, one, we remember his work as creator. Notice that the commandment references that he made the, the work, the world and everything in it in, in six days. Psalm 92 says, how great are your works, O God, how profound are your thoughts. So, so part of what we do is we rest in God as our creator. We remember him as our creator on the Sabbath. Um, remember that I said a, a second ago, the first place the Sabbath is actually mentioned is in Genesis 2. And part of the reason for him resting on the seventh day is to set a pattern for us that we need, we have six days of work and then we need one day of rest. But Exodus 31 is interesting. It adds that God rested and that God was refreshed. I think uh, that, that seems a little odd, doesn't it? That God was refreshed because God doesn't get tired, he doesn't grow weary. And so what does it mean that God was refreshed by ceasing from his labors for a day? I think there's a clue at the end of Genesis 1 where God has finished his work of creation 
And it says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so I think maybe what it means that God was refreshed is that he stopped, and he found this joy and delight in what he had made. And so when we stop one day out of seven, we stop and we enjoy God. And we stop and we enjoy the fruit of our labors. Like it's a legitimate thing to do. We have labored for six days, and now we're enjoying the fruit of our labors when we cease for a day. And we're enjoying the fruit of God's labor as we enjoy the creation around us. It's a day for us to, to stop producing, to stop creating, and to rest and rejoice in our creator and rejoice in his creation. But uh, there's more here. We don't just remember him as our creator on Sabbath. We remember him as our redeemer. It's interesting, the Ten Commandments are two places in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 20 and then also in Deuteronomy 5. But the ending of the fourth commandment is, is different in Deuteronomy. The reasoning for it. It's changed. It says, instead of remembering creation, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty arm and outstretched hand. Therefore, the Lord your God has a man commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is about redemption, remembering redemption. The Sabbath day is about freedom from slavery. And if, when you and I can't rest, when we, when we refuse to leave our, our work for a day, if we can't rest from work, if we can't rest from being productive, if we can't rest from making money, that's a form of slavery. We've just entered in voluntarily into our own form of slavery. Uh, I've just finished reading again the third Harry Potter book. And, and in this book, Hermione has got this thing called a, um, a time turner. And the way she uses the time turner is that she's just consumed with taking as many classes as possible and doing as good as she can. And so this time turner works. She goes to class and then she uses it and it turns back time and she's able to go to another class that meets at exactly the same time as her first one. She's got an 8 o'clock class. She goes to class. She does her little magic thing. She goes to her other class. She goes to English, then she goes to algebra, then she goes to social studies, and they're all meeting at the same time. And she just uses time turner to do that. And she does that for the entire semester there at Hogwarts, and she gets more and more grumpy and irritable and angry with everybody. Because it's slavery. She's enslaved to her need to produce and to be successful. And I'm going to take all these classes and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to conquer the world. I can be all that I can be. And it's, it's utter slavery to her. The Sabbath is a remedy for that. The Sabbath is about freedom. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's freedom from slavery in Egypt. In the New Testament, we see it through the lens of the cross. It's freedom from slavery to sin through the work of Jesus. It's about being brought from death to life. And we remember this on the Sabbath day. We hear the law, but then we, we confess our sins, but then we hear the gospel as well. We rejoice that we are free. We are free in Christ Jesus. I'd also add that celebrating the Sabbath on the day of Christ's resurrection, we celebrate the fact that he is risen and that one day we will rise as well. That, that death doesn't have the final word. Y'all, he has is, he is defeated death. That's what happened. He rose on the Sabbath and, and defeated death. 
we're entering a, a season in the life of the church where we focus on Easter and think about the resurrection, and, and that's all great. But we really don't have to do that because we do that every Sunday. We get to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead and that one day we will rise as well. And so we rejoice in his resurrection and our future resurrection and look forward to that eternal rest that we're going to have with him. We got a riding lawnmower. It's an old riding lawnmower that I got off of Craigslist when we moved into our house. And I realized that yard was way too big to cut with a push mower after trying it once. Uh, but, but this riding lawnmower, the tires are always going flat. And I'm, you know, it's too much trouble for me to go and buy new tires or to get them patched or whatever. So I just bought an inflator. And we take it down and we pump them up every time before we cut the grass. And it'll generally make it through one cutting. But, but there's, there's nowhere to plug this thing in down by the riding lawnmower. And so I have to always buy one that's got a rechargeable battery. And you have to keep the battery charged or the thing won't work. And eventually you'll use it for a while and that little orange light will come on. And you're like, oh, you know. And it's usually the day when you're wanting to cut the grass and it's not charged. But eventually that, 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 that orange light comes on and you've got to go and you've got to plug it back in so that it'll recharge again. Every seventh day is a day for you to to recharge. It's the day when we get to stop for once pumping up all the flat tires that we're running around pumping up all week. And we plug back in our creator, redeemer, and we're refreshed not only by stopping from our work, but we're refreshed by plugging in and connecting to him. Or, or let me put it a different way. Uh, if we go very long without a Sabbath rest, the, the world has this way of molding us into its image. We start to forget a little bit about God. We start to look at things from an, from an under-the-sun perspective, which is what I, I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is struggling with. We, we, we start chasing wealth too hard and glory on this, in this world too hard and fame and success and a good time and all of those things and it never fills us up and it becomes wearying and as the writer of Ecclesiastes say, says we get to this place where it's like meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. The Sabbath is like a bucket of ice water that gets thrown in our face every week where, where God is saying wake up, wake up, there is more than, than, than the stuff you do Monday through Saturday, there is meaning and purpose to life. You were made for something more than chasing the things of this world. You were made for something more than just being a producer, an economic unit in the world. You're made to know God and to enjoy him and to rest in him. And the Sabbath is a gift. It's a reminder from God of all those things. That's the gift. That's the gift that, that we're offered. The problem is we often miss the gift. Now, this is where we get into the actual text that we're looking at today. Uh, the Pharisees were missing the gift. They were missing the gift that God was offering. How were they missing the gift? They seemed to be pretty serious about the Sabbath, much more serious than we are. So how were these guys then missing the gift? Uh, let me remind you, we talked about this last week, some the, the Pharisees were these extremely pious Jews. They, you know, they were the guys that if anybody was getting it right, they were probably getting it right. They had listed all the commandments they had found in the Bible, and then they had added commandments to those commandments. And they put these up kind of like a fence around the commandments in the Bible as a way of saying, we don't want to get anywhere close to breaking any of these commandments. 
So we're going to add extra commandments to make sure we don't get close to breaking them. And they did this with, with many of the laws. They did this with the Sabbath as well. There were 39 categories, not just 39 laws, but 39 categories of rules that they had made up regarding to the Sabbath observance about how far you walked and like whether you could brush your teeth or all of them or just one of them and how many towels you could dry off with. And just, there's just all these, these crazy rules that the Pharisees had made. One of the laws that they had made related to what Jesus and his disciples were doing as they walked through the grain field on the Sabbath. Now, in the Old Testament, you were allowed to walk through somebody else's grain field and pluck grain off. You couldn't, but you couldn't bring your tractor and like harvest the whole thing. All right, that would be stealing. But if you were just passing through, you could take some grain. It'd be kind of like if I walked through your garden, I could eat a tomato or whatever, but I couldn't bring a five-gallon bucket and take them all with me. So they're not breaking the law by the fact that they're eating. What the Pharisees are objecting to is the fact that they are doing this on the Sabbath. Now, there was nothing in the Old Testament that said you couldn't do this, but the Pharisees, in trying to define what work is down to the minutest detail, considered what they were doing harvesting. Like walking by and picking a piece of grain to them was the same as if, if you had brought the tractors out and spent all day you know, in the fields. So they felt that Jesus and his disciples were breaking Sabbath by what they were doing. So they say, look at verse 24. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And so this is sort of obscure to us, but Jesus points them to an incident in the life of David where David and his men were on the run and they ran into the tabernacle and they ate ceremonial bread that was supposed to, I think it was supposed to sit there for a week and then only the priests could eat it. But David and his men stopped by and said, hey, we're hungry. They got some bread. They ate it. And Jesus is saying, nobody complained about that. that like that wasn't considered, a, they didn't get in trouble about this even though technically they had violated the ceremonial law. Uh, and, and, and then I think what he is saying here then is, if David and his men can do that, then certainly when one greater than the Sabbath is here, one, excuse me, one greater than David is here, one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, certainly he can go and do something which is not really a violation of the law of God at all, but it's a violation of your additional requirements that you've added to the law of God. Verse 28. Who showed up? Jesus says, the Lord of the Sabbath has showed up. Now again, this is kind of hinted at in Mark's gospel. It's one of those places where Jesus is slowly revealing who he is to us. And everybody's like, did he, just, did he really just say that? And we read that and we're like, okay, Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath, he's claiming authority over the fourth commandment. He's again claiming divinity. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I get to interpret the Sabbath. I'm the one who understands how this is to be applied, and you guys are completely missing it. And right before that, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
And I, I think that phrase gets at the heart of the controversy that's going on between Jesus and the Pharisees, and it's the heart of why they were missing it. It's a day to be refreshed. It's not a day to jump through hoops to justify yourself. Uh, in the very next section that we read, they get mad about him healing somebody on the Sabbath day. And Jesus gets angry. Now, you don't read that a whole lot. Jesus gets angry at them and says, you, you guys are missing it. This is a day for restoration. This is a day for refreshing. And what could be more refreshing to a guy who has spent his entire life with a shriveled hand than for the first time being able to walk out and, and be able to use a hand? And you guys are mad that I have done that. You've, you've, you're mad that I've brought refreshment to somebody on the Sabbath, and that's crazy. You have, you, have, you have all these rules, and yet you're missing the point of the Sabbath. See, the, the Sabbath was one more way for them to earn righteousness. It was, it was one more way for them to divide the world into the good people and the bad people and to say, we're the good people, and you're not because you don't do what we do. And Jesus is saying, look, y'all, the, the Sabbath is not a ladder you climb to earn points with God uh, by seeing who can climb to the highest rung. It, it, it's about rest. It's about rest. Uh, imagine if, if, if you're a golfer. Um, imagine there's this beautiful golf course with this great fairway. Something like Augusta National. And you go, to, you go to play. And they've got fences going up and down the fairways. And you can't actually get on the fairway to play. And they make you go and play all of your shots out of the rough. Like, golf has a lot of rules anyway. It's kind of a pharisaical game. But... but but, but, but they've, like, added a ton of more rules on top of it. And you, you're not able to actually enjoy the course, this beautiful course. And that's what the Pharisees have done on the Sabbath. Here's this gift. Here's this thing for you to enjoy. But here's all these rules we're putting around it. And so you're not able to actually enjoy it. Nobody could use the Sabbath to get any rest because they were all so busy keeping all of these rules. So they missed it. And they missed the Lord of the Sabbath who is standing right in front of them. Well, how do we miss it? How do we miss it? I think this is a little tricky to apply uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one, because while there may be some people who are, in, uh, who are in danger of adding a bunch of man-made rules to Sabbath observance, I don't know that that's the boat most of us fall into. Um, for us, I think if, if the Sabbath is a park like we're in danger just kind of going into the corner of it if we go at all and then running back out. I'm not really using and enjoying the park or the, or the golf course or however you want to look at it. So how do we miss it? I think we miss it because we want rest. Like we, we, rest is just kind of anathema to us. We're like Hermione. I got to go to as many classes as I can. I got to be as productive as I can. As, as one person said, I'm not a workaholic, I just work to relax. I just work to relax. We don't rest. And we don't rest because we're busy producing. We're busy getting it done. We're busy being successful. We're, we're busy practicing to get ready so we can go and perform again. Because in those moments, our functional Savior isn't Jesus. Our functional Savior isn't Jesus it's my ability to perform, 
It's my ability to produce. It's my ability to succeed. It's my ability to get a good grade. We can't rest because we're so caught up in, in, in justifying ourselves. Uh, the only movie you can get an illustration from when you're talking about the Sabbath is Chariots of Fire. So somebody needs to make another movie. We're stuck with this one. Um, but, for, but for one of the guys in Chariots of Fire, it, he is just driven to win the 100-meter dash or whatever that, that he's in. And he's just miserable, and he's just obsessed with winning. And he talks about it, and the way he puts it is this. He says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. Like that's my justification, is winning that race, and I've got to win that race. And so that's why I'm, I'm killing myself training to win that race, because that's my savior. That's everything to me. Uh, Eric Little, the main character in Chariots of Fire, finds out that, that he, has a, he has a chance to win the gold medal, but he's going to have to run on Sunday to do it. And so he's got all this, pre- you know, he's got internal pressure. He's got pressure from friends, from teammates. He's got pressure from the country because he's going to bring glory to his nation by winning this medal. But he refuses to run. And he's able to do that. He was serious about the Sabbath, and he was able to be serious about the Sabbath because he wasn't running to justify himself. Running wasn't his savior. God was his savior. He said at one point in the movie, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Like like running was what he was built to do, and he enjoyed doing it. But he also could lay it aside because he had a greater savior than running. And so he's like, you know what? I'm not going to run. I'm going to rest. And so he rests. When, When Sunday hits... And, you know, we run out of here, and all that's going through our minds is, I got to get the house clean. I got to catch up on the budget before tomorrow. I got to go shopping. I've got to get some studying done. Then we're missing the gift. We're missing this gift, this opportunity that God gives us every week, a gift he gives us every week to be able to say, today. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I don't have to succeed. I don't have to perform. I don't have to get it done. I can just rest. And, and even in our recreation, well, I think certainly some recreation, moderate, is, is, is part of the purpose of the day. That can be one more place where we look to find rest instead of in Jesus. If I just get enough pleasure today, then I'll be Okay. See, the, the reason we can't, can't quit working is because in that moment, we're not resting in the finished work of Jesus. See, the real rest, we're talking about all this kind of physical inactivity, the real rest we need is rest for our souls. And this is the exact rest that the Pharisees were keeping everybody from getting. You can't rest when you're constantly performing to earn God's favor. You can't rest when you've got to perform in order to, uh, in order to feel good about yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. There's no rest in that. The, the real rest we need is, is rest for our souls. I'm a sinner. I work too much. But Jesus loves sinners. And he loves to forgive sinners. And I don't have to perform to get him to do that. There's no performance on my part required to, to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offered. I simply have to rest in what he's done for me on the cross. 
Well, let me close with this. How do we receive rest? I want to try to be practical with this. Um, how do we enter rest? Um, number one, I, part of it is simply to, to worship, to gather with God's people and, and to worship. Uh, every Sunday, I remember that God is the creator and the sustainer, and that God is able to keep things going without me. Like, it's not going to end if I don't go try to get something done. Every Sunday, I hear the gospel. I, I partake of the bread and the wine. I give up on my attempts to justify my existence. And I get to lean into Jesus again. Uh, for many of us, Sunday morning isn't hard. Um, but still, we wind up sort of kind of busy checking Facebook, checking our email. And so we're like hurried coming in here. Let me encourage you to think about what your day looks like before worship and how you can actually get into the mode of rest before you walk in here. For others of us, that's impossible because we have little ones. And it is like a, a small miracle just to be able to show up here at all, much less on time. So, so that's one of the reasons we have a nursery for the little ones. Uh, it, it's okay for you to come with drool in your head, on your head and baby food all over you and just take them back there and let whoever's doing nursery deal with them. They don't get to rest for a little bit. And then you can come in here and rest. And that's one reason it's so important for us all to kind of share that nursery burden. You're, you're helping other people in the congregation who don't get much, much rest even on Sunday. You're giving them a chance to rest. So, so be involved in worship. Number two, resist. Resist. Um, practice sales resistance. All right? We have these continuing calls to produce, to work, to keep up. Um, on that, that uh, time turner that, that Hermione had, and this wasn't in the book, but it was in the Harry Potter uh, like play set, and don't ask me why I know this, but on the, but on the, the inside of that thing, it said, my value and my use unto you are gauged by what you have to do. And, and, and how much do we think my value lies in what I have to do and what I accomplish and what I get done? And, and we find our value in that. We really need to be resisting that because that's a false savior that will enslave you. And we really need to be resisting that all week. But especially this, this one day in seven where we can say to all that stuff that's demanding of us, we can say to all that stuff, you know what? You're not my savior. I've got an appointment with my real savior today. And I'm going to go meet with him and not worry about you. Um, you know, there are some practicalities of this. Those of you in school, those of you, sometimes you have big things going on on Monday morning. I would suggest perhaps observing Sabbath the way the, the Jews did and do it from sundown to sundown to start your Sabbath on Saturday night at 6 until 6 on, on Sunday evening. And then you have some time to get ready for Monday morning. But that's just something for you to think about. Third thing, so, so practically, how do we enter this rest? We worship it, we worship it. We worship, we resist, and then we, we try to make use of the Sabbath day and not just the Sabbath hour. Um, and I think this is, this, is, this is kind of the hard part for a lot of us. And let me, let, me, let, me, let me throw out three quick suggestions for that. What do I do the rest of the day? And you're going to like these, most of these. Uh, number one, take some time to just veg out. 
some, some inactivity. Go get your hammock, go get your, you know, string it up, get in your sleeping bag, get your iPad, binge watch Netflix for a little bit. Just some, just some time of, of inactivity, all right? Then do something avocational. And, and what I mean by that is if you're a professional bike rider, then don't spend Sunday riding your bike. If you're a professional cabinet maker, don't spend Sunday building cabinets. But if it's like restful to you to go ride bikes or to build cabinets or whatever, then go do that. Do something that's different from the rest of your week. There, there can be some activity can be restful. So find some activity that is restful for you. And then find some time, thirdly, find some time to pursue God outside of this service. Um, you know, in our tradition, you're actually encouraged to spend the whole day in that. I actually, I, I think you should spend some time doing the other things as well. But I think that should be part of your day. That, hey, you, I'm behind on my Bible reading. Here's a, I can take a few minutes to catch up. I can go take a walk and I can pray. I can spend some time with my community group sharing my burdens and, and praying for and with one another. So take some time to pursue God outside of this time together. Uh, Bernard Laggett, and I think I'm saying his name right, uh, is a four-time Olympian. And he holds all kind of track and field records. One of the secrets to his success, he says, is not running. And what I mean by that, he trains and competes for 11 months every year. And then what he says he does is he puts up his sneakers and he completely pigs out for five weeks and he doesn't run and he doesn't do sit-ups and he coaches his son's soccer team and he gains eight pounds. He does it for five weeks every year. He rests. He rests. And then he goes out and he sets world records the rest of the year. Every Sunday, you get to quit running. Like, really, you, you get to quit running and rest. And rest from your labors and rest from your attempts to prove yourself, and rest from feeling like you've got to get it done, and rest in Jesus and what he's done for you. Don't you want, don't you want that rest? Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, we are um, busy, driven, self-justifying people. Uh, and we have a hard time unplugging we have a hard time turning things off. And even when we do, we have a hard time shutting our mind off. And so I pray that you'd help us and help us to see the gift that you've given us uh, in the Sabbath and even more the gift you've given us in the Lord of the Sabbath, in Jesus who says to, to us, come who, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, help us to come even this morning and to lay down those burdens and those things that we try to carry uh, and to find rest in you. Amen.